Ultrasound Gel Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Ultrasound Gel Podcast. I'm Mike Pratt, and this is part two of a special edition discussing ultrasound research with Michael Gottlieb. Now, if you didn't tune in to the first episode, go back and check it out. There's so much great information there that you will definitely want to give it a listen. In fact, there was so much we had to break it into two parts. We left off in our last episode discussing journal choice for your ultrasound manuscripts. So that's where we're going to start, and we're going to go from there. I hope you enjoy. Mike, speaking of journals, I get these emails every day. It says, you know, this is, let me let me read one right now. Dear Dr. Pratt, you are a handsome and illustrious researcher. We have read all of your research articles and your high school poetry, and we love it. Please submit an article to our journal and send a check for $2,000. Love, fake journal. Mike, do you ever get any of those articles? Because I haven't published nearly as much as you, so I imagine you probably get about 400 of those emails a day. Man, I got that same email. I so I feel so much less special here. Although mine was also <laughs> doc- addressed to Dr. Pratt, so I don't know if they... Uh, <laughs> I think they were just trying their odds with the mics. But that's so true. that You get requests so frequently. I probably get about 50 a day that will say something along those lines with spelling errors and they're... The challenge here is that some of them sound a lot like real journals. Annals of Emergency and Internal Medicine sounds a lot like Annals of Emergency Medicine. And it may trigger our brains to say, oh, I've heard of that journal before. We have to be really careful of some of these sound-alikes. So if you come across a journal, first, try to assess, does this seem like a real journal? Ask some of your colleagues if you're unfamiliar with it. In general, most journals do not send out solicitations for articles to a specific person. They may send out a general announcement that we're looking for a increase in submissions on this given topic, but it's pretty rare to send a targeted request for a open-ended topic. So just be conscious of that if you come across a request to make sure this is a legitimate request because predatory journals, as you mentioned, are predatory. They will request money. They have been known to hold manuscripts hostage, which means that they will Hold on to them until you pay increasing amounts of money to release your copyright back. Because they're not real journals, people aren't citing them. You're not actually getting the benefit of people seeing or utilizing your research. Now, there's a website that was around for a very long time called Beals List. Unfortunately, it's no longer active, but you can find this still online. And it's a very interesting list of the number of journals that are out there with pre. It's a very interesting list of the predatory journals out there and how similar some of these names sound to journals we are familiar with. So just a word to be careful with predatory journals. And if you're unfamiliar with them, just make sure to run it by other people. And we will include links to some of these lists that are available online, as well as links to anything else that we are talking about during this podcast. So We've talked a lot about doing the research, getting it published, and sure, a lot of the time we are the performers of research, but perhaps more commonly, we are the ones reading the research, either just taking in the studies for ourselves and our practice, or as a formal journal reviewer. So, Mike, as patrons of the ultrasound literature, what do we need to know in order to take a study, read it, digest it, and be able to use the information? 
Anytime I'm reviewing a paper, I recommend reading it at least twice. The first should be your overview read. And what you're doing here is you're just assessing how interesting is this concept? What's the general applicability of this paper? And what are the authors trying to say? Then I come back a second time and I actually dissect it out. And here I start to look at how is it specifically applied to me as the reader? And what are the limitations in the structure that I should consider if I'm gonna apply this research to my practice? Now it's pretty easy to gloss over the methods, but arguably this is the most important part of the paper. And when I'm looking at the methods, I wanna assess, is it logical? Does it follow best practices? And we mentioned the equator guidelines earlier. And how well do they protect against bias? I also will look at ultrasound specific questions. And what we teach our residents when they're doing ultrasound journal clubs is, here are my two main ultrasound questions. Number one, what is the machine and what is the probe? And when I look at this, are they using an older machine, a newer machine? Is their machine better or worse than the current machine I'm using? Is the probe appropriate for what I would be using? Are they using a curvilinear probe for something that I would probably benefit more from a linear probe? And how do I apply this? Because we know that the proximal resolution is gonna be different between those two probes. And two, what is the training? Are they looking at fellowship trained providers? Are they looking at residents? Are they looking at novice medical students who have never performed ultrasound before? And how does that apply to me or the providers at my setting? Now the next piece is the results. And when I'm looking at the results, I wanna look through the initial demographics and get a sense of, are these equal groups? So are they preferentially favoring one group versus the other? An example of this might be the success with the ultrasound guided versus landmark peripheral IVs. If you found that there was a differential proportion of people with difficult IV access in the landmark based group, you would expect that they'd be more likely to have difficulty. And so you wanna make sure that you're assessing these pieces of it. Are they equal in each group? And also, does this apply to my practice? If they were looking at a population that has a very high rate of difficult IV access, and, my and the population at my shop does not, can I still apply this data to my population? And I think one of the most common areas that seems to be missing here is BMI. I think that should generally be a requirement in most ultrasound studies because we know that the soft tissue depth can make it more challenging for a number of applications. And so I look there and I say, if their overall body mass index is very low, they may have easier scans and they may not be as applicable to somewhere with a higher BMI. So we wanna be conscious of as we go through it to say, are these methods following best practices? Do they seem logical? Are they protected from bias? And do the results both reflect equality between groups? As well as, are they applicable to my current population? So I'm seeing a lot of similar things from when you're designing research to when you are reading the research. So that is a good concept to keep in mind. When you're starting research, write the paper that you want to read, design the study that you want to see, and in both cases you're assessing for possible confounders and biases that you don't want to miss. Now. I feel obligated to say this as a participant in the foam ed movement, but while we love podcasts and we think that it's really valuable to get that very fast translation of some recent 
data that's coming out, we always advocate for you reading the studies yourself. And as Mike said, reading them twice, because we are only one voice and we don't know your specific patients or circumstances, and that may differ from our practice environment. So always read the papers yourself. Now, Mike, we're getting towards the end of the podcast, so let's talk about some pearls. Can you drop some pearls on us related to ultrasound research? Absolutely. Always think of your next study. Once you've answered your question, we talked about studies being like these layers of an onion they can start to peel back so start to figure out how you can follow that same idea forward for as many studies as possible it's much easier to carry the same study forward than to jump from topic to topic so as an example one of my earlier studies was looking at ultrasound for intubation among one of my earlier studies was looking at the accuracy of ultrasound for intubation among cadavers we looked at this among em residents and subsequent to this we discussed as a group what are the other questions that can, be, that can be studied in this same type of model? We started to look at the accuracy among experts. We then started to dissect out the components of ultrasound. We said, for example, there's a static and a dynamic technique. And is the static technique, which is performed after the intubation, as accurate as the dynamic, which is performed during the intubation, with the underlying question of, does, do we really need someone's hand on the neck during the intubation attempt? And then we assessed, if I'm looking at the tube movement, does color flow help? We know color flow helps us identify movement. Does the impact of color Doppler help or hurt ultrasound? What is the impact of the endotracheal tube size? Is a smaller tube less likely to be seen? What is the impact of different types of transducers? If I use a linear probe, which has better proximal resolution, versus a curvilinear probe, which has a wider view, allowing me, therefore, to see the esophagus in the same plane, which one is better? And we took the same study concept in this cadaver model. We ran one study after another after another. And each study only took us one day because it was a group of us at the cadaver lab just running through this. We were able to continue to develop new studies one after another by using the same model that we developed with our first one. And the value here is that a lot of it, we're not having to repeat our literature search very much because most of this we already know from our first study. And our methods are able to follow through from study to study, so we're not having to reinvent the wheel. We're able to carry much of the same methods forward. The second piece is identify collaborators. You want to have a core group of collaborators that you can rely on because it shouldn't all fall on your shoulders. We should lift each other up together. And once you have this core group, expand your network. So in any given study, I almost always try to include one new person to help expand our network and increase capacity beyond the small group because we all, as I mentioned, want to lift up ultrasound research together. I believe there's an old saying, high tide, all ships rise, or something, I'm probably botching it, but it's something like that. And I love that mentality. We're all in it together. Now, we can't talk about pearls without talking about pitfalls. And speaking of pitfalls, I recently rewatched Swiss Family Robinson the original movie, because I think there's a couple remakes. And I learned that making real pitfalls, specifically the pits and holes that are improved by putting tigers in them, can be a very effective defense. But most of the time, we ourselves do not want to fall into those. So Mike, how can we avoid unexpectedly falling into a hole with a tiger? 
So the first step is to vet your ideas early, having someone that's external to the project look at this and running through our finer criteria. Once you come up with a study idea, pilot your study in a real world scenario before actually launching the study. While something may seem feasible in theory, once you actually place it in real world context, you'll identify some of the challenges with it and how feasible it is actually at your setting. Now, when we look at survey research, for example, you want to actually pilot out the survey with someone before you send it to a larger group. And one common pitfall I've seen with this application is that people will often send out a survey to a group of people and get the responses and say, oh, look, I have responses and this is generally what I expected to find. The problem is that these responses may not actually reflect the information you're trying to gather. So when I'm piloting a survey, I will actually sit next to the person when they're taking their survey and have them read the question and tell me what, how they interpret it and how they would answer it to ensure that what I'm asking them is what they're understanding. The same concept applies when you're running a study in the emergency department or in any setting. You need to actually pilot how the study will work. If something is too complicated to run or providers don't feel comfortable performing an exam, then no matter how good the study concept is in theory, no one will actually do it. When you're running the study, involve a statistician early. I can't say this enough. It is so important. Have a statistician involved early or someone at least with statistical expertise who can weigh in on the sample size, on the methodology to make sure that your study is in the best possible version at the start. When you're submitting, be okay with rejection. As we mentioned, many papers may take more than one journal before they're accepted. And the key here is, once you submit to a journal and you get the rejection notice, read past that and actually read through the reviewer comments and incorporate them. Oftentimes, the reviewers for one journal are going to be the same reviewers for another journal, and there's a pretty significant likelihood that the same reviewer will be asked by another journal to read your same paper. And if they spent what is usually one to three hours reviewing your paper, and they find that no changes were made, they're unlikely to take that same one to three hours and change it the second time. And just making sure to incorporate those recommendations because even though they're not accepting the journal, someone spent a lot of time on the recommendations and they will help to strengthen your paper for the subsequent journal. Finally, review often. When you review other people's submissions, you learn a lot. And I personally have learned a lot from writing styles, from study designs, and what's actually in the literature. One of the things I really enjoy about peer reviewing is that it helps me learn different study designs and it helps me strengthen my own writing style as well. So Mike, what you're saying is that when you get a rejection, it's not appropriate that I grab ice cream and cry into my pillowcase for a few days? Yeah, and then you incorporate right after. Okay, okay, yes. As long as I come back to incorporating the reviewer suggestions. I, I understand now. <laughs> well, that was incredible. I think that we are at an end, but Mike, you gave us so much knowledge. Let me try to summarize what I see as some of the main points. Number one, do what you can with what you have. We all have different resources. We may not all be able to do the multi-center, double-blinded trials that we want with a wonderful grant to support us, but do what you can with what you have. Number two, let the ideas flow and abound and then capture them. Number three, 
use the existing practice guidelines that are out there when you're designing research. They are there to help you and ensure that you're doing high quality research. Number four, when you're reading papers, read them twice. It's going to be helpful to make sure you're getting a good feel for it and you can critically appraise it. Number five, pilot your studies in the real world. I really like that, Mike, where you can test drive it and make sure that you're doing things in a way that makes sense. And then lastly, always be planning your next study. So everyone out there, keep making high quality research. We love everyone that's doing ultrasound research and use what you know about research to make sure that you are practicing evidence-based synology. So Mike, I really appreciate the time that you gave us today. It's been a real pleasure. You're a scholar, a gentleman, and a friend. And thank you for everyone else listening to our podcast. We always appreciate your listenership. If you want to find out more, you can go to ultrasoundgel.org, talk to us on Twitter, or check out our Facebook page. Until then, we will talk to you later. More. For sure. More. Gel. More. For sure. More. Gel. More. Ultrasoundgel.org.